Are you just going to be blowing your nose the entire time? You're going to be blowing something if you don't shut up. I don't know. Wh- oh, I'm, I don't know why. I'm I- definitely not shutting up then. I don't know why I threatened you with oral sex, but I did. Right. <laughs> so most of my week has been dealing with people texting and calling about Dave Pickerel. Have you? Did you ever meet Dave? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's, I've definitely, there's, he's hit or miss for some people. A he's lot a, of people yeah, absolutely worship him. He's a polarizing Others character. He really is. Yeah. He's super polarizing. But I mean, on the one hand, I can't argue the fact that he has been like hugely influential on the craft side. Yes. Humongously. So. Right. Like, what do you think, Cole? Do you think he's in one way, shape or form touched at least like half the brands on the market right now in terms of like that seems very i'd say maybe five six years ago that might be the number that's true because he has been quiet the last couple of years yeah focusing on the big things like metallica metallica yeah that was that was what a year and a half in the making something like that actually i have no idea if that's how long it took but that's how long he's kind of been quiet last year and a half or so well yeah actually i guess they 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 had never released or have they released their whiskey i don't think so no just the marketing behind it yeah well and it was well i guess we should for listener if we're going to include any of this in the podcast i don't know if we are in our industry there was a big name a fellow named dave pickerel who was known as a consultant i believe it was oakview consulting he was also at maker's mark the master distiller there for i think 14 years yeah 14 or 15 14 or 15 years went on to be a consultant and this was in the early years of the craft side, and he was kind of the go-to consultant for anyone with, you know, any kind of pockets, you know, deep pockets. And as Colton was saying, probably about five years ago, he was involved in at least half the brands in the United States in terms of whiskey. He was really well known for rye, but he worked a lot on bourbons as well. And some of the, you know, some of the big names people know him for is he was uh, Whistle Pig, Hill Rock. Uh, I think he was at Nelson Greenbrier. Woodenville. I mean, the list goes on and on. I think one of the big things that stood out to me when I was reading some of the obituaries and everything was he was a master distiller at multiple distilleries. Yes. Which you don't, it's not like, that's not something you see a lot, right? So usually no. you're, you're a master distiller at this place for 50 years or, you know, or whatever. And then what just does that, does that, I mean, we should do a whole episode on the term master distiller and what that actually means. Right. Yes. I would really like to have an entire podcast on that because that's another that's a really polarizing term in and of itself. But I mean, Dave definitely put in the time and effort and he was really knowledgeable. And that's why he made a lot of money on the consulting side and worked with a lot of people. But uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Dave Pickerell recently just passed away. I believe it was just a few days ago. Um, and. Yeah, he was really influential in the industry. We all knew him in some capacity. He was a bit of a polarizing figure for some people. Uh, I mean, personally, just pure personal bias, he was always good to us. You know, we didn't always do- agree with him, but for the most part, I really respected him and he knew what he was talking about. Colton and I worked with him a lot on the judging side for some of the competitions we worked with on him and just other projects. I think they need a big personality that matched his, like, you know, his physical presence. It's pretty funny when people yes. are like that, right? Like they're big and have a personality that match that, right? You're like, man, this guy takes up a lot of space. And you mean that <laughs> yeah. metaphorically and literally. Right. 
Right. Yeah, Dave was big in every single possible way. There's a lot of people that are pretty devastated because he did have a huge impact on the industry. Yeah, what kind of legacy does he leave? That's a really good question. Um, I think one of the big things he leaves behind is he did have a very, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but everything I ever tasted that he is involved with had a specific kind of profile. You could usually guarantee that it was of a certain quality. There were some consistencies, you know, between the different brands. Some of, I don't know exactly the mash bills, but <laughs> Dave had a particular taste palette and profile that I think you could pick out of a lot of his products. And so that's that's one thing is that legacy left behind that influenced a lot of those early goers. Again, there's we've talked about this in terms of innovation, how things change, and how one mash bill can taste completely different on one still to the next. Um, but I think also he set the tone for consulting in the industry, I'd say. I mean, he had a really high bar on who he'd work with. There's an anecdote I've heard before that said, you know, if you didn't have a million dollars in the bank, he, he didn't have time for you. Not that he wouldn't want to help, but he had a really high bar on who he could and couldn't help. And I think that sets the tone for a lot of consulting in our industry, too, of what's expected of someone. Well, yes, but also just I, I feel like that's a little realistic as if you don't have, you know, some money in the bank for consulting. You, you know, you're going to have to figure it out on your on your own. And Right. I think that goes to saying, like, if you're not going to take it seriously, then why should someone else take it? Yeah. 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 Well, in a lot of ways, if someone was willing to invest the time and money in someone like Picaro, that was actually an indicator to other investors that you were serious. And it was a pretty solid way to make sure that you were going to get a jump start on your product base. And, you know, and uh, I mean, he also knew marketing, he knew distribution, he knew how to source product, he knew barrels. So someone like Dave was able to, he was kind of an all in one package. He could bring you everything you needed. And that was a worthwhile investment. Well, he was a marketing tool too, right? Like, so somebody would say, "Oh, we used." I mean, yeah, master distiller at four places, right? So, or yeah, however many it was. Well, but. and you brought up Blacken, the the biggest project that was kind of released right before he passed away was this product Black Blackened, which was the brand of Metallica, <laughs> which was interesting too. All of their marketing material too. I may get this wrong, but I believe he was on it more than them. I don't even know that Metallica is specifically uh, referenced on the bottles and the labels, yeah. but Dave Pickerel is. And that says a lot right there. And in the marketing material, the actual high-end, very expensive videos that they produced and released on YouTube as kind of trailers, it really highlighted Dave, which was really interesting. Why doesn't it highlight Kirk Hammett? He's a fucking boss. I, don't I have know. no answer for that. <laughs> you guys don't even know who that is, do you? you no, that's why I didn't, I didn't touch it at all. Yeah, you know what? You know what we didn't talk about last one? We didn't talk about what happened in Pittsburgh. That pissed me off. Ooh, tell us about what happened in Pittsburgh that pissed you off. You know what happened in Pittsburgh that pissed you off. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't piss you off? What part are we talking about in Pittsburgh? I mean, we we got Mel Brooks on the fucking podcast with us over here. (laughs) (laughs) And some anti-Semitic asshole... Fucking shot up a place. Oh, oh, you mean just like super recently. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I thought you were talking about like Pittsburgh as in the convention. I was hyper focused on the industry as opposed to <laughs> no. the shit show that is our world. <laughs> no, no, we're talking about super depressing dark things. So, uh, right. So you wanted to bring that one in? Well, no. I mean, yeah. it's I'm like I'm very much Pittsburgh. This is a Pittsburgh podcast first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure a listener is not in Pittsburgh either, though. <laughs> Yeah, there are zero <laughs> listeners in Pittsburgh. I'm almost certain of that. No, that shit pissed me off. But I am really proud. I mean, I do talk about my hometown a lot in the city. I'm really proud of how it reacted to that. And uh, it it made me remember why I love my home city so much. It actually made me homesick. I, it's right. a weird thing. Like, you know, this shit happens everywhere. And... I don't know, for some reason it really struck a chord with me because it's Squirrel Hill was like 15 minutes tops from where I like grew up. And uh, I don't know, it made me, like I wanted to go home. Like what the fuck was I going to do if I went home, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know, but like I had that feeling. So I don't know, I just want to shout out to Pittsburgh and I'm proud of you, Pittsburgh. Despite having horrible people like Zeno, Pittsburgh's pretty awesome. All right. This is the Still Talking Podcast with Colton Zeno and myself, Brian Christensen. Today we're talking about quality control management and other things that are somehow... I like how you only say your full name. I mean, it's obvious that I pretty much go by <laughs> Zeno, so that's the big set. But Colton is a second-rate citizen, <laughs> right. too. Um, that's so it when, seems. <laughs> I only have so much time where I can stay on point and sound like semi-professional. There's no way I'm saying Colton's entire name. I'm pretty sure he just doesn't know our full names. Lord Brian <laughs> no Christensen. Uh-huh. I'm actually going to drag my part out every time and start adding accolades. <laughs> Recent recipient of the Podcast of the Year Award, delivered by Artisan Spirit Magazine. <laughs> Are you just going to be blowing your nose the entire time? Yeah. I'm be blowing something if you don't shut up. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'm, I don't know why. I'm definitely not shutting up. Then I don't know why I threatened you with oral sex, but I did. <laughs> World's worst threat ever. Yeah. If you don't shut the fuck up, I'm gonna suck that dick. All right. So help me. We are so we're off to so a, quality we're, control. We're off to a real bad start. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So what is what does quality control look like? It has to do with. Again, your scale, what you're making. What does it look like for you, Colton? Well, right. Like, I just want to make sure what I'm making is good. I'm less concerned about kind of consistency. You know, I want it to be as consistent as possible, but it's less of a concern to me than the double macros or especially Europe, Scotland, and, and France where they're adding, you know, coloring to have such consistent consistency um i just need to make sure our spirits taste good every time where right but how uh, do you how do you yeah, validate I, don't, that? I don't need that's that's kind of where i was going i don't need to run it through a ton of fancy analytical equipment or anything it's just kind of we do a tasting panel that's that's our major or our main quality control how many people are on that panel uh it varies but you know two to seven, just kind of who's around. I'd never want to do it by myself. Right. Like I never try to do a tasting. I always want at least one other person there. Do you have, as soon as you start doing it by yourself and saying, you know, that's, that's where you're really going to start having problems. 
if your nose so, is off. Right. You know, do you keep any kind of log book you have a so cold that if that you day, all right. of a sudden you can't taste the same. If you hold a cat in your face, if you let a cat show its dominance. Yeah. Wait, wait so wait, I want to go back real quick, Colton. Do you guys keep a log book of like your grain bills and where products come from and all everything right, so that goes I in guess, individual I guess... barrels? So if you run into a bad batch, you know what caused it? Yes, we we okay. definitely do. And I guess I want to break it down in terms of there's a bunch of different levels of quality control, right? So there's keeping your recipes the same, keeping your suppliers the same, keeping, you know, your SOPs the same, everything like that. So there's there's sort of production standardization and quality control and then there's, you know, flavor quality control, which right. to me are two separate things. Um, that kind of combined into one thing. Well, sure, but your raw material quality is going to impact, you know, the, you can, your processing can be pinpointed and work with precision, right? All of it through the whole operation, but we're dealing with a raw material that's in, you know, it's a crop. It's living. It's a crop, yeah. right? So they're not the that's, same. That, that's why I split it into, you know, your processing, but also your flavor quality, right? Because, you know, differences in the in the crop are going to create differences in your end results. Right. And that's why I right. keep, like, a C of A on all, like, my my crops, right? And I know what they are, and I know, obviously, it's not the level of analytics that I had at Beam Suntory. You don't sure. Now you guys are just counting beans and saying, "This is three beans good." <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly how we do it too. No, but I do. Th- I know. I was there on Monday. <laughs> I do take a little bit. Like, I mean, there are things that I do. Like, I have. I keep retains that are. You know, I have a gold standard, and that gold standard is a reference point for the sensory panels. For consistency, because I do care about consistency, believe it or not. As a question, you know, you just came from, you know, a big, you know, double macro where it's day in, day out, very, very consistent. Now you're on pot stills, you're making decisions on heads cuts and tails cuts and all that. Your consistency, you know, scale just got a lot harder. Is it still... You know, is that still your number one focus or is what you, my number kind of, one focus consistency? Yeah, sure. You have your gold standard, but if you know, you find something that you like better than your gold standard, but it's not it's not the same profile as your gold standard. Are you going to switch? I think it has to be within a degree of acceptance. So I I know that there will be more variability and what I'm doing here than at a beam Suntory. Although there's more variability there than you would know. So I, it's not as... But they blend, They can blend it out with scale. Right, they you, have a lot more wiggle room so. because of the mass, the volume. Right. Where I don't, I don't have that luxury. So it's funny because I actually had a conversation around this today. It's like you have all these control points, right? You have like all this grain that you're adding and then you have like you know, your mashing step and your fermentation step and you have all these control points and then your distillation control points. But then the distillation part, to your point, Colton, is like you're making cuts. So there is a subjectivity to it, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, there is, but there are clues that you can use for like, okay, well, 
these compounds have these vapor pressures at this temperature, at this time, at this alcohol percentage, you should be right. You should be within range, within a degree of accuracy. So is that super important for me? Sure. I also conduct weekly sensory panels and I usually do tetrad test or a tetrad test is really where you have four samples and it's just two liquids and you have to pick the pairs and put them together. And in small sample sets, that's really good for statistical significance. And I mean, I have a small company, so it's a small sample set. And there's all kinds of ways you can do sensory. You just have to make sure you don't get too carried away. And really, it's it almost comes down to, I hate it, but it's kind of difference testing. And it's just, okay, is this different? Is it too different? Like, and what you're yeah. saying, what you're saying, Colton, is like, okay, what if I have something that's too different, but we like it better? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, that's the attitude I've taken. Well, that doesn't fucking happen because I'm a goddamn boss. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, wait, should we step back a minute and delineate between the difference between quality assurance and quality control? Because, I mean, when we're talking about tasting panels, that's quality control, which is more reactive to the process after it's done, right? And make sure good product goes out if you're going to blend. But then quality assurance is more kind of what Colton was talking about earlier in terms of logging everything, having set processes in place, making sure your employees are well-trained. I mean, what do you do in terms of quality assurance work, the proactive work? I think that, you know, it's what you, you said. It's, it's, I think the SOPs are a big part of it and you have to, but I think you use it. I think it is important to have a reference point, right? If you don't know what you're shooting for, how are you ever going to hit it? Sure. Yeah. So uh, you, there is some wiggle room in that, but you have to have some type of gold standard. And I do think it's important to, to I keep retained from different runs, like at least one little sample from each run so that we can compare and contrast and over time too. Do you guys do something yeah. like that too? I know you keep retains. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we have, we only started about maybe three years ago, but we have a library of every bottling we've done for the past three years that, you know, especially if I get, you know, a quality complaint from a customer and they say, Hey, this, this bottle sucks. I say, well, it sucks for you. But then, you know, back in the lab, <laughs> I go, uh, your I go, customer service is outstanding <laughs> back yeah. in the lab, which is his basement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and the only reason he has it back three years is because everything prior to that he drank. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was for quality control. <laughs> or right. sorry, sorry, market research. <laughs> market research. There you go. Well, it's funny because, like, I mean, we're all you know, we're talking about this not double macro size, so you don't have all the sophisticated technology, and there are things like. Yeah, I can't run anything through. It's just someone complains, and I go and taste it say, all right, hopefully that was just a bad bottle and the batch is okay. And then from there I'm like, all right, well maybe it was a it was a cork or a defective, you know. Right, something. but you guys like don't filter. So like what if what if someone complains about sediment? Like and how do you quality control for that? I I can't really. I mean it's just uh, I kind of feel like craft whiskey consumers, at least I hope, uh care less about that i'm sure that that's not true and it's just in my mind but we don't have a good answer for that at the moment so i mean i, th I think that there is it's off-putting for some people when they see sediment right sure and I, I think that 
there is some, you know, work. But with, but on the same side, they're like some people will also say, "Oh, that's unfiltered. That sounds cooler, right?" So yeah, I mean, well, it's kind of a double edged sword. So I, you know, Chris Beatty and I would go back and forth on this many many moons ago, and we were making a ginger liqueur, and there was some sediment, and it was crashing, and I was like, "Chris, who gives a shit? Like, it tastes good." No one gives a shit. It's like how people think about it. We always reference beer. But like, do you give a shit if uh, you drink a Belgian beer and it has sediment in it? No, of course not. No, you don't. You're like, oh, no, give me that. I want that. Right? But if you drink a Bud Light and it has sediment in it, you're going to be like, what is this terrible thing? (laughs) Right? So it's a matter of perception. And perception is reality. But I, I mean, working with... Working with Chris, like we did all kinds of testing, and I would cold crash, and we'd put it in UV test it, and right, and that was more of a lab set, uh, setting where we had some capability of testing things. But you know, you're not going to do that at Corsair, and I'm not going to do it at Porch Jam. And yeah, there's only so much. You know, lab equipment is so expensive. So do you ever outsource any of the testing for yes. any particular reasons? Yes. What, what 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 do you outsource, and how often? Um, mainly, so, you know, I haven't been at my place in a very long, but what I did is we have an RO water system and I have certain specs for water and I will send that just to an outside lab to analyze it. Okay. Just make sure to, what were you looking for? Salts (laughs) or lack thereof. And you didn't you didn't feel like a TDS meter could adequately. It could, but I like to have a lab that's certified that I can show it for. It's not so much for my product as much as when we do contract work. We're like, hey, we we can guarantee this water quality for proofing and get you know. So that's 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 the only time I have in a. Yeah, for our for our own whiskeys, I guess. You know, I, I think our city water comes in at 150 or so TDS or total dissolved solids. I tested our RO system. It was nine, which is a pretty substantial drop. So I called it good. I didn't need to see exactly what those things were because it's it's minimal, right? But I I agree with you. If if we needed someone, if we had someone coming in, I was like, you know, we need extra special quality control, I might send it out. Right. And I mean, it's kind of a case-by-case basis, right? You figure out what you need as a distillery. I mean, one thing, if listener happens to be a distiller, which I hope not, because if you got anything from this podcast, it's... (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to be part with us. (laughs) Um, But if you are, I, I, I did it in Oregon... I did it in Kentucky and now I'm doing it in New Orleans is I leverage the local universities, which sure. they get when, as soon as you tell them you're a, you know, distillery, they get all pumped up because like, Oh sweet. We can apply science to alcohol. And, yeah. and everyone loves that. Yeah. And then they, you know, a lot of times they'll help you out. So, I mean, there's a couple of universities here. I've but what partnered with besides water? What, what do you want to send to the lab what do you look for 
Methanol concentration. Besides what's coming out of your nose right now. That's methanol. That's methanol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I beat you to it. But my internet might be faster. <laughs> no, it's not. Get off your high horse. <laughs> um, yeah, I think methanol. Well, it depends on. I guess you could say if you're new make your new make spirit, you could say. Right, you could do a, a GCMS. You could say, "Hey, I want to check methanol, acetaldehyde, ethyl acetate, and then your long chain alcohols." You you could do all that theoretically, and you'd want to do it. This, I guess, this gets back to Brian's point of how often, right? Every once in a while, don't don't go spend your money testing it constantly. Because especially if you're on a pot still, like maybe if you're on a column still, it's a little different. But if you're making different cuts every day, is it worth spending the money? You know, advanced science. I think it depends on what you're making too, right? Yeah. I mean, that's totally, I mean, if you're making a, I don't know, peanut butter liqueur, you're definitely going to want to measure different things than... Uh, I don't know. Whiskey, a jelly liqueur, a jelly liqueur. Yes. <laughs> are you guys making that? Can that be like a duo that you guys are collaborating on? Because I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> well, um, it won't be creamed. So. <laughs> oh, never mind. That's nah, a stupid idea. It's all cream. <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess that goes to macro versus or uh, double macro versus micro. Uh, when you were at Beam, Jason, did you do that as a proactive, you know, you would test consistently, you had a lot more resources. Would you guys constantly test proactively to make sure things weren't getting fucked up? Or was that more just a reactive after there was a problem? No, no, no. You, they get, that gets all kinds of testing. Because, yeah. I mean, what company is going to get dinged by someone? Yeah. Right. So it's that's it's yeah. It's the expectation right. of double macro versus so craft. Pretty much, new make spirit got GCMS. Um, what else? I mean, what? Else? I mean, there's so many things that happened. And it had uh, I don't know. We there's all kinds of equipment that we we looked at certain things. Like sometimes you look at still loss. So this is maybe more of an efficiency question as opposed to quality management. But do you do any kind of testing on your sugar to alcohol conversions, you know, in in terms of efficiency to make sure you're not leaving behind anything in the actual fermentation? Because even on a small micro scale, that's money left behind, right? Well, we use these sophisticated things called hydrometers. Okay. Um, they float. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, Brian, you're right. I, I don't think of that as quality control, but it is. That's just, oh, for sure. that's just yeah. a standard operating procedure that, uh, I mean, beyond quality control, that's also mostly the government wants it. So you must. Right. But it is, when it comes down to it, quality control and for both flavor and process, I would guess. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's more than just hydrometers, too. It's you. Yeah, it's thermometers. A, yeah, you have a, it's <laughs> pH meters. Uh, you, right. have a, you have a theoretical yield, right? So you have to be at some percent efficiency in order 
or else you're like, okay, something's seriously wrong with my system. And if that's the case, then it will most certainly impact the profile of your spirit, right? If, if something upstream is not, you're not efficient. Like if I send super green beer to the still, it will taste different when I distill it than it will it. as a fully attenuated beer. Yeah, exactly. And that I think that gets to the point that it's, it's also not just about maximizing your yields. You know, most of us are only making 9 or 10% or you know, seven to ten percent ABV beers or washes. Theoretically, we could do you know eighteen or twenty, get more bang for our buck. But flavor and quality wise, that would that would go down from that. Um, it, it's an interesting conversation. I think that you have all these control points, right, in your SOP, right, like fermentation temperature. Right, and that's a quality control, right? You know, yeah. is that quality assurance or quality control? I guess assurance, right? Yeah, I'd be more proactive. I would think, I would yeah, I would think of it as a assurance. Right, because you know, if I lose power, goes out, and my actuators go out, and the the glycol jacket closes, and beer gets super hot or super cold, it's definitely going to change the profile of that fermentation. Right? Yeah, sure. Okay, so. What do you do in terms of training? Because at a certain point, you're going to have employees. You're going to have more than just yourself touching the still, actually fermenting the product. So how do you document these things and then pass that education on to the people working under you so they don't fuck it up? I don't train anyone. I just throw yeah. them to the wolves. I say, do it. And if you mess it up, I'll eat your lunch. That's training. Yeah. Train. It is. That's nice. <laughs> and then I get a lot of free lunches. <laughs> That's why I have the body of a Polish immigrant. <laughs> that that's why. That, that's the key. Because he's such good trainer. <laughs> such good trainer? Yeah. yeah I did, I did say I'm such a, good trainer. I'm as good trainer as you are grammar. <laughs> I am a wordsmith. Why am I grammar bad? <laughs> I'm efficient with my language usage. Fuck you. <laughs> you should like publish some sort of literature seems a, like a lot on, of work on a regular cadence thank goodness know, for man. amanda's amazing photography and Seriously. all the talented it, people that you have working uh, yeah they actually don't even let me look at the magazine anymore yeah. <laughs> that's why i read the i read the magazine as much since as I the first issue <laughs> <laughs> they just keep telling me it's nice yeah that, that's i mean that's why this podcast is so bad we don't have a supporting cast <laughs> Or a main cast. We just have us. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> and Devin. Poor Devin on the other end of it. Right. Uh, bless Devin's heart. Yes. She yeah, I know. Just... She has to look at Colton naked on a semi-regular basis. <laughs> I only put oh. on a shirt for this podcast. That's Otherwise, this home is a, is a closed See, free zone. I thought we were going to go the other way and Colton's going to be a never nude. Yeah. He, just, he always wears jean shorts he's constantly. Wearing, he's wearing like 47 shirts right now. He's wearing yeah. He really is. What is going on with your outfit? Uh, it's cold in the basement, and for the quality control of the podcast, I turn our heat off. <laughs> what the hell were we talking about? We had a point where... Oh, know. how do you train people? Ah, yeah. How do you assure the quality? Yeah, how do you, Colton? Uh, well... Well, all right. So I have a bunch oh, of 
basically. <laughs> this is going to be fun because one listener might actually be someone that works with him. So this will be <laughs> see. I want to see how he dodges around this without not yeah. sounding like an asshole. See, none of my people actually listen to this garbage. <laughs> it's a wise choice. Yes. All right. Sorry, I was distracted. Um, I don't know. We just uh, we let it happen. <laughs> Seriously, wow. Oh, wow. Jesus. That no. was so incredibly unhelpful. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, oh, we, so we, do. we have. Uh, we, we have a. Wait, do you, you know, remember the question? <laughs> like, yes. I feel like you're confused. <laughs> Right. You're, you're like an old man that's like walking the, on the wrong way, or like on a red light or something. Like, I saw the light go out of his eyes. He actually blacked out for a minute. And then he's like, well, we just let things happen. Yeah, it just happens. Stuff. Well, our first, so our first training is they must read the safety manual and then sign it. After that, we get to actual training. The first rule of Fight Club. Yes, as you must read the safety, the safety manual. As you sign the safety manual. His name is Colton Weinstein. His name is Colton Weinstein. Yeah, so I, I guess the first thing we do is quality assurance, where we go through and make sure they learn you know, the SOPs and learn how to do everything the way that we do them and all the little nuances and everything, right? Then we can get to the... You know, quality control part where we do tastings and just kind of like, you know, it just takes time. It takes experience, just tasting and tasting and tasting and tasting and sitting around a group talking about it, saying, this is what we like. This is the process that creates this flavor. And then just continuing that, you know, and the more you do that, the better they get. And the bigger the group you do that in, you know, the more people are then familiar with your process and the easier it is as a right. company to, to move forward. Yeah. And that's what, so I think what you started with is a decent SOP. Right. And sometimes that's hard to get to and like being descriptive. And I remember something I did when I was in like, I don't know, a long time ago in primary school. And it was like, you had to write instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But do it in a way. So that someone who has no idea what a peanut butter and jelly sandwich could make it. Right. Right, and like for whatever reason, that has stuck with me my whole life. First, you so. make your peanut butter liqueur, then you make your <laughs> jelly liqueur, right, <laughs> and then sandwich. Your, your sandwich liqueur. <laughs> um, so I, I think like being that detailed. Do you still have that? Because I'd love to post it on our website. That'd be <laughs> so incredibly amazing. Have what? <laughs> Your SOPs for making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm talking about like fucking like sixth grade. I'm very aware. Yeah, when, well, I know, that was so actually are we. that was way higher grade than I expected. That. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I went to school in Pittsburgh. All right. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Back, back I'm gonna get to... Pittsburgh a pass today. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna... that's goddamn right. You are. I have, honestly have no idea when I did that, but it was a long time ago. Anyways, I think if you stick to that level of detail, and all that teaches you, though, you can teach anyone to do that. It's like lab procedures. Yeah, like being a lab rat or cooking or anything. I, I can right? teach anyone. I mean... Yeah, right. You can teach anyone to do it. It's what to do when shit goes wrong. And right, and it doesn't work out as intended, and yeah. that's when you really you need a more ooh, 
experience is the word. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Intimate understanding. Like you need a more intimate understanding of what is actually happening. And that's hard to teach. And, you know, depending on whoever's background is or who you're working with, if they had experience, if they have an education in it. But when stuff goes wrong, I always, I teach every day at work because I work with people that don't have a ton of experience or specific education in what we do. And I'm like, hey, you know, I teach them what a bubble point on a cooling tower is. Like, Colt and I were talking about that before you came on. Like, but I say, okay, well, this is why this works like this. Or why would this temperature be different if we think it's going to be the same? Right. And those kind of things. But you always have to start with that very specific SOP. Right. One of the things, too, I found talking to different distillery operations, too, is trying to instill a sense of accountability within everyone that works there. I've heard of a few different operations that will actually do weekly or daily meetings where they'll actually encourage people to talk about their their mistakes, their screw-ups, take ownership of them, and then they can all talk about how they can improve upon that. That way, it's not a situation where you run into, especially in a distilling operation, you don't want someone hiding mistakes or trying to avoid any kind of repercussions that can come about because of some sort of screw-up. You're not going to find out till way down the line or there's safety concerns behind it. So that kind of philosophy of accountability, I think is pretty important. I'm sure you guys- Yeah, and that. mistakes happen, like accidents happen. So it's, a, it's, you know, owning them and learning from them and being earnest and honest and following up, that's more important. Right, because- Yeah, and actually, actually one of the best training methods that, that we've found is just just get people, when once you get people behind- this actually all comes back to quality control. You get people behind making a high quality product, they're less likely to make mistakes, right? You're like, this is why these SOPs are important, so we can have something taste good on the other end. As soon as you screw up this step, this is what goes wrong, and then, you know, we have shitty alcohol. So you're empowering end. them with an intimate understanding, right? Be- no, I don't want to yeah. say the same thing because- as you. <laughs> because <laughs> they're committed they're committed to the vision right no I, you're i understand what you're saying it is the same but it's different but you're like hey look sure. <laughs> we want to make something we're not just churning something out what in god's yeah. name is that noise sorry that was my other computer how many computers how Two many computers, computers are sitting in front of right now what are you drinking colton <laughs> oh i hiccuped right when i was saying that i was like ooh, ooh. <laughs> Uh, I am drinking a actual, I guess it's a classic now, a anchor version of Old Portrero. Portrero? Portero? I don't know how they say it. it. Yeah, okay. We know it is. Yeah. One of those things. A delicious rye whiskey. Excellent. I'm drinking uh, Nika. Which one? Nice. There's many of them. I know. Um, I can't remember. You're not. I can't remember. Just going to keep the mystery alive. The peach ring finish one. And Brian, what uh, bourbon cream uh, nipple do you have today? <laughs> I, I was actually <laughs> indulging in a really nice uh, coffee with heavy cream, not actually alcoholic before. But now I've moved on to Ranger Creek's Texas rye uh, in a new barrel. In a new barrel? <laughs> of course. That's literally what barrel. the label says. It's a distillery only release. So uh. <laughs> uh. so there's not a whole lot of key information in it. Well, I guess that's I mean, key. if you're calling out new barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it literally says 
Semicolon new barrel. That's that's the information I have in front of me. I assume it's alcoholic. It tastes lovely. Huh. Well, good. That's what really matters. Do you think that they often age unused barrels and that's what they're getting at? That this one is a freshly made barrel? Mm. That's a deep question. Yeah. We'll we'll uh, we'll we'll ponder. All right, so wait, okay, so how do you quality control uh, aging? That's taste, right? I mean, is it or do you do it by color? Do you do it I mean, I do not do it by color. Well, okay, let's be super I don't think you know, that's realistic here. for a craft Go all distillery. the way back to the source, make sure you're sourcing really good product first. Make, you know, this goes back to the the uh interview we had with our friend at Kelvin Cooperage talking about is is the wood seasons you know how are they you know how are they toasting and charring it you know what are all the processes that's your proactive approach of making sure you're getting really good barrels and probably sizing matters too i mean if you're going to put product in a small <laughs> barrel you can't put it in for four years so go in knowing what you're going to do and have a plan of action for your maturation otherwise you're definitely going to screw it up so in summary size matters put it in like you know what you're going to do and you're going to screw it up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Every single time. <laughs> it's a podcast for the kids. It's for the children. <laughs> Wu-Tang is for, for the children. <laughs> and then, yeah, after that, I think you guys are right. It's It has everything to do with quality control after that. I think that you you can, I mean, so Double Macro definitely uses color as a, as a, yes. as a point of reference. Right? It's as a point of reference. It's not the be-all to end-all, but it is... A data point that is useful and i think you do use it too colton i don't think it's you're not going to say well this isn't dark enough but you can look at something like you immediately whether you're saying it or not in your massive brain that you have you're thinking on my side table yeah (laughs) in a jar it's it's thinking it's thinking uh this is too light or oh man this is a little dark it's gonna taste like too much Oh, not enough age. That's true. Yeah. Right. That's so, true. I mean, I think we jumped to that conclusion already. I, you know, I'm going to go back to Chris because quality control and he taught me, you know, he's a freaking scientist. So whenever we were barrel aging some of the the brandies for the Palm O, we would measure, we would use a UV vis and measure a specific wavelength yeah and that you know so that would quantify and i'm using that term loosely um a certain level of extraction from the barrel so did he have access to a ton of research of like extraction rates because especially for new craft distillers there's no way you would know even if you had access to one of those machines there's no way you would know you know, okay, so you know you've measured this wavelength. How do you know how much more is coming, or or how much you've taken out of the barrel? You know what I'm getting at. I don't think it was a matter of like you're thinking deeper than. I think it was more of a learning process. So it was like, hey, here's a new barrel. This is what made me actually think of it. Here's a new barrel, and in X amount of time, it gives us this readout at this wavelength. Okay. Here's a once-used barrel. At this amount of time, it gives us, right? So yeah, it was more okay. of a learning in that regard. Yeah. And could you 
So quality control for the future versus right. So could, in real time. Right. Could quality. you associate or tie that back into vanillin extract or right, right, or uh, uh, I don't know, pick your barrel compound, right? If you could, I'm sure that you could tie that back to it. But I guess what where I would be nervous about doing that is uh, ex- exclusively for the craft level, but. You know, barrels are different creatures, as we've learned. Trying to pick, you know, not having enough of a scale to really be able to dial that in, where let's say you pick a wavelength and say, all right, this is where vanillin hits, but that's a odd barrel out, and, you know, it doesn't hit the same way the next 50 times. That's that's where I would get nervous if you scale yourself on so small and then you're trying to dial in things that don't, really match up i don't think anyone on a real small scale is really going to try and do that first off how many craft distilleries have a uv viz spectrophotometer it sounds like at least one yeah right (laughs) (laughs) um not many um yeah but i think that goes for just a general attitude of like let's not pay so much attention to that exact analytical tool but any of the sort of deeper science measuring equipments. I think that I believe is the technical term. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that as much as I hate to say it, there's a bit of creativity that you apply to your analytics at your particular place, right? Like I hate to say that because, you know, I, I try, that's the technical, I try term. and be a Senate, a scientist, right? A scientist. Um, <laughs> but like in all honesty, there was like, okay, these are the tools I have. These are the tools I'm able to get. This is the product I'm making. What can I leverage or what can I learn to help me dial this in? So, you know, Chris yeah. is a is an outside case because, you know, he had the whole biofuel thing. Like, there was a bunch of analytical equipment there, right? I You know, I, I, the only place I've, I've had something like that was Beam Suntory, which is you know, a massive freaking company. Sure. You know us, who else could help you, Zeno? Gary. High Proof Creative. High Proof Creative. Karen could help you. Can she help me with my analytics? I don't know. If they're Google. Colton, if they're Google. <laughs> if they're Google. <laughs> Actually, so Karen just sent us a bunch of information about our website that I'm pretty sure Zeno and I never looked at. So, Colton, say something intelligent about that since you're the only one who actually does <laughs> well, it. I mean, the, I uh, opened the file. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't understand what it said, but he opened it. Yeah, I was waiting for you guys. We are literally the worst possible clients anyone could ever have. Yes, I believe she waited for approval of things for like two weeks. So Right. She's got them now. (laughs) Which shows the kind of patience and dedication the team over at High Proof Creative have. They can wait for us to not read emails that they've spent hours and hours working on. She had a plan for our social media accounts, all of them. For the whole month, and uh, Wait, we actually were, have and they were just media. sitting. There. I thought we were just kidding about <laughs> <Ooh>. that. <laughs> Wait, we have a website. It, we did. We do. It wasn't very good until recently. Yeah, I mean, really, one of one of the big things she did for us was uh, she went through and and did some SEO on our website because I had done zero of that. Well, I won't just call me out. All of us had done zero on that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but, so every but picture defense, I don't or think every anyone expected Zeno and I to do anything. <laughs> we don't. So this is on your shoulders. We don't even listen. Yeah, <laughs> never. 
so basically, you know, we where we used to come on, come up on page, you know, fifty in a Google search for still talking podcasts, we're now up to like twenty three, I think. So <laughs> progress. We're getting up there, but basically, you know, back end website design where every single one of our pictures was, you know, not tagged properly, not organized at all. Uh, I kind of threw them in a big pile, and she fixed it. Huh. Yeah, Dude. I could see how that would be advantageous to a company that was reputable. Um, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, ha- and had a future. Uh, I appreciate Garrett's work and high proof creative work for us. But uh, yeah, I, no, in all honesty, I imagine that would be pretty useful. Especially if you're like, you know, it's a local thing. I mean, I know what I do when I go to a new city. Like I'm headed to Cleveland, the great city of Cleveland, Ohio. The mistake on the lake, as some call it. Um, I'm headed there this weekend. And like the first thing I usually do is like distilleries and breweries, right? And charcuterie, pretty much. Yeah. So like if somebody had Googled distillery podcast or I think specifically whiskey podcast, we had we had nothing on our website that said whiskey podcast. So it wouldn't have shown. But up. oddly they enough, charcuterie have... was on there. Yeah, charcuterie, charcuterie. <laughs> not charcuterie. Charcuterie. <laughs> yeah. I want all of those. I want those analytics. Make it happen. That's a. That's like a fancy French flatulence. Charcuterie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is what she wants to be associated with. I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> if high proof creative can help us then i imagine they could help others that are slightly less awful than we, yeah. are. we have no business plan if you have more than one sentence you already have a leg up <laughs> high proof creative can help you <laughs> <laughs> thank you karen <laughs> all right we should uh we should do final thoughts unless there's anything else we want to touch on quality management stuff i had to do the final God, thought i'm eloquent today i had to do the final <laughs> thoughts grumble <laughs> <laughs> That's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> but it does add for consistency uh, in our podcast. Final experience. Thoughts is brought to you by... Zeno's Throat. Oof. <laughs> you don't want anything brought to you by Zeno's Throat. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's, a re- that's a receiving port only, kids. <laughs> Wait, why did I didn't say kids? kids? I didn't mean it like that. That was just like no. a, I was just generalizing. Oh, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, man, I'm sorry, everyone. And mo- yes. mainly, I'm sorry, Karen and um, <laughs> everyone. Karen and, Karen and listener. Karen and listener. Karen yeah. and listener. Yeah. We are sorry. And all the high proof uh. creative team, obviously, too. Um, I, all right, wait, so I'm going to go final thoughts. I think that you have to pick the right quality control and quality assurance for you. Your spirit, your operations, the assets you have, the people you have. I I think that a good place to start is having well-written SOPs that you feel like you could be gone. And it's so descriptive that it it could run if nothing went wrong just by following and reading instructions. Yeah. Tailing on that, I, I couldn't agree more on the documentation side. I mean, if there's one consistent thing we always come back to, it's have good documentation. As unsexy as that sounds, 
that is a vast majority of what this industry is. It's either, you know, it's documentation for tax purposes, or in this case, it's for quality and even safety purposes too. You know, if something happens, you want to make sure that you can look back on your records and make sure you're doing everything you can or find out where you screwed up so you can fix it so it never happens again. So that documentation, that kind of chain of responsibility, that training, all of those things come together to make sure that you're running a professional operation unlike this podcast. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, And then the the final, final thought. Uh, Why? Why do you have to double the finals? Yeah. I double I mean, the macros the, and double the finals. There's always the doubling. God damn it, Colton. <laughs> so double final. Uh, <laughs> we focused very heavily today on, well, tonight, on you know quality of the liquid in the bottle. But quality control can mean so many other things. It can mean you know your bottle, your label, how they, how your label stick to your bottle. We personally have a huge problem with uh, the quality of our closures and our T-tops come off the corks more often than I would like. Mm. Um, so it's just like it's bigger than yeah. just thinking about the liquid. You have to think about, you know, the entire aspect of your of your distillery. You know, quality control in front of house and how your your team members talk to customers and your sales guys talk to customers and, you know, even as hard as it is, what, how bartenders talk to your customers, right? Can't control all of that, but it's all sort of a, a quality control message in the end. Or you go out and you manhandle the bartenders and you do control them. <laughs> you hold them up to your face yeah. and show dominance. Yeah. Show dominance. Hold them up to your face. Um, okay, cool. Uh, wait, you're supposed to say something here like uh, uh, listen to us on Groove Shark. Oh. Yes, absolutely. If you go to Spotify, immediately find us and block us from your feed. That's really important. (laughs) That way you won't have to deal with this ever again. Uh, We'll we'll be on Adobe PDFs. You can find (laughs) us there. (laughs) I have an Excel spreadsheet that I will put up on Google Drive, and you can find that. Yep, you can uh, watch us on MS Paint. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a picture of Zeno holding a cat to his face that Colton drew during the recording of this podcast. Thanks, Uh, listener and Hyperfuse Creator. You're awesome, listener. Yes. 